This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. Good afternoon, everybody, and welcome to Invest Talk. It is Friday, February 7th, 2020. And you know, we're into the second month of the trading year. And yes, there has been lots of volatility, and I'm pretty sure it's going to continue. But, you know, that's one reason to listen to this program, of course, right? I mean, you know, that's why we're going to help you. We want, you, you need some kind of guidance, hopefully, on how to deal with this volatility. I talked to a young couple today. Um, they told them, frankly, that when the market really gets, when no one wants anything in the market, when the market really tanks, that's when you buy. And when everybody loves the market and thinks it's great, that's when you sell. In between, you have these volatility movements, up and down, up and down. Well, if it's, you're in a bull market, you buy, you buy the corrections. When you're in a bear market, you sell the rallies. But we're still in a bull market phase. Still is, and it's been a long one. So until that changes, you buy the dips. You have to. Anyways, I'm Steve Peasley. I hope you can call me today in this hour. Though the Invest Talk radio program and podcast and my company, KPP Financial, I, through them, I can help you. I want to help you become a better investor. That's the whole thing. That's what Justin Klein and I do this, to help you become a better investor. And we do that by sharing our ideas, sharing our philosophy and how, how we do it and how, what makes sense out there. That makes us different from other investment advisors because we give unbiased guidance and we put our money right alongside our clients. You know, if we buy something, we buy something for ourselves and our clients all the same time, same price. It's pretty simple, really. We call it parallel investing. That's what I call it. So, if we do really good, so will you. If we don't, you don't either. But if you don't, I don't, and that's very painful for me because I lose both ways. I have a client who's not happy with me, and I'm not happy with me. So, I'm, I'm on the same side. So, now I've been, you know, now that I've set things up, I'm here and ready to answer your questions. Any of your investing or financial questions, you can call and ask. Our anytime listener line is open, and I'm taking your calls live, 888-99-CHART. We're live Monday through Friday, 4 o'clock Pacific time to 5 o'clock Pacific time, Monday through Friday. And it's official. I have reserved Thursday, February 27th for my next visit to San Jose, the 27th. My problem is, is that's full. I have no open spaces left. So, Justin and I were talking about today, and we're going to open up another day pretty quickly right after that. So, we'll be we'll have that information here hopefully by Monday, Monday, so that you can set up a time and maybe meet with Justin as opposed to just me up there. Okay, these are free personalized portfolio consultations. Um, you know, and the whole thing is to help you achieve that financial freedom goal we all want. I, I or Justin can sit down with you and we'll help you optimize your portfolio. The sooner you register, the better a choice of available times. And as you can see, mine are gone for February 27th. So we'll be up there really quick. So when we announce the day, I mean, I already have two people wanting another time, you know, as soon as possible. So, and there's only five slots open a day. 
It's all as many times, that's as much as we can get in in a day. So when we open up a time for you and tell you it's going to be this day, if you want to meet with us, you got to do it fast. That's in San Jose. Okay? So expect that announcement on Monday. My main talking point today concerns a story the Secretary of the Treasury says U.S. GDP may fall short of 3% this year. And he wants to blame part of it, a major part of it, on Boeing. I don't know if that's true. I'm not sure. Boeing has had problems. And they, one of the problems, the, the issue with Boeing is they're a really big company. They make very expensive planes and they export them all over the world. When you export big, high-cost items, you do a lot of that, that really helps our economy. Okay? But if you don't, you know, we got the Max 8 problem, right? I mean, they still have that. So it's going to be an issue for them for this year. And the Secretary of State, well, we'll talk about that more. And i got other talking points I want to talk about, too. How about Global quantitative easing, QE, global quantitative easing. And is who's doing it besides the Federal Reserve here in the United States? And are they doing it more or less than us? Like the Japan, for instance, like the ECB, for instance, are they? China cuts their tariffs, all of their tariffs, in half starting next week. Did you know that? Cutting all their tariffs in half. Well, let's explore that a little bit. And finally, we have a big week in statistics where we're going to talk about that pretty in depth a little bit today. And we'll go over all the numbers because we had the jobs report this morning. So that was pretty important. The Dow was down 277 points. You know, it was up today at one point, but then it turned around. The NASDAQ down 52 and the SP down 18. But we really had a very good week. Mark was up pretty strong almost every day, except for today. So you gotta you gotta look at the whole thing. Okay. Now, as you know, Justin and I make it our mission to incorporate listener questions into the mix of our because we get a lot of questions because of the podcasting. We don't get a lot of questions live because people you know live in the podcast. They listen to the podcast and they then they have a question. So we do try to get to those questions. So here comes a question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Dr. Wilmahal. I have a question about Silver Asset Management Group, S-A-M-G. I've been looking at this stock. I bought some of this stock. Everything looks great, but I would like your guys' opinion uh, about this stock and see what you think. Thank you. Okay, Silvercrest Assets, uh, S-A-M-G. Provides financial advisory and related family office services to ultra-high net worth individuals. It's a very small company, $114 million in market cap, and that means it's just small. It's very small, therefore very risky. This talk is selling at $12.44. It's going to make $1.64 next, this year in 2020. Last year it made $1.34 per share. Year before that, $1.30 per share. So as far as being, you know, the price to the value, it's pretty darn cheap. It pays a 4.8% dividend. Now paying a 4.8% dividend on a small company of 114 million is unusual. Usually these smaller companies want to be, you know, plow the profits into the company to get it growing, to get it bigger. 
And, you know, they're not growing very fast. They grew 12% in September quarter of 2019. We haven't got the final quarter yet. They, uh, before that, they shrank 3%. Before that, they shrank 7%. Before that, they grew 1%. So, you know, it's not the highest grower in, in the world. Management owns 8%, which is pretty decent. Return on equity is very good at 34%. So the numbers are pretty good. I mean, you know, it's pretty inexpensive stock for the earnings they're making. That you can say. Um, let's see. What else can I tell you? And that's about all I can tell you. Uh, the, the only danger I see here is it's a very small company. You know, very small. Okay. And that's SAMG Silvercrest Asset. Well, main talking point today concerns the story. The Secretary of Treasury, Secretary of Treasury says U.S. GDP, gross domestic product, may fall short of the 3% this year. Well, we're going to look at that and give my perspective. I got some other interesting things to talk about. And I, we went over those. So we will go through all those things after this break. This is Invest Talk. And since it's Friday, I will be sharing brief experts from our newsletter, the KPP Premium Newsletter. I put, I print that thing, I produce that thing every Friday. But now I'm taking your finance and financial and investment questions live, 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. It's Friday. The weekend is here, or almost here. And the past few days have been very interesting in the markets. Volatility has been on display, so is your portfolio balanced? Well, you've got questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. You know, every Friday I give you some stats, some benchmark stats. I I like to talk about the 10-year and the 2-year treasury. The 10-year... A yield is at 1.58%. It's very, very important to keep track. So when money flows into the treasuries, money flows in, the price of the treasuries go up and the yield goes down. So that's the 10-year, 1.58. The two-year is 1.41. So it's been getting tighter. It's been getting tighter recently. And we always worry about an inversion. When the two-year yields more than the 10-year, pretty consistent out there that that is a, a, a recession red flag. Gold, $1,577 an ounce, $1,577 per ounce. And gold has been moving up. Oil prices are just over $50 a barrel. That's pretty low. So oil companies have been taking it on the shins, right? Uh, the, the coronavirus is a problem for them because, you know, airplane flying in China is almost non-existent at this point. So that that's going to affect them. But that also breeds opportunity, everybody, I think. Take a look. Take a look on the big oil, integrated oil company. Take a look at their prices. Take a look at their dividend yields. Take a look at their earnings. You'll see what I'm talking about. So gasoline, gasoline, national average is $2.44. California, of course, is more than a dollar more, $3.51. And Colorado's at $2.50. We pay here in California a dollar plus more per gallon. Why? We shouldn't. 
because we have a lot more users of the gasoline. Therefore, the demand is higher. Therefore, that demand should produce, you know, produce more supply here, you know, to ensure that I, I just think most of it is extra taxes we pay, California taxes. Thank you very much. Okay, let's go to Mark in New Jersey. How you doing, Mark? Hey, Steve. How's it going? That's good. I appreciate the call. Thanks. I uh, I got a question about PE&G. It's a utility uh, here in New Jersey, public service enterprise group. I'm just kind of – I own a little bit. And I'm, go ahead. It symbols PEG, public service enterprises yes. group? Okay, you own a little bit. You want to buy more, or you want? I'm thinking about. I'm thinking about picking up a little more. The earnings forecast of the future seems to be steadily growing. I'm just kind of worried about the debt they're carrying, and I want kind of okay. want to get your opinion on that. Okay, this is a holding company, everybody, providing utility services in New Jersey, and I kind of like the utility sector right now. Uh, they they provided to 2.3 million electric and 1.8 million gas customers. Uh, the yield is 3.3%. That's the dividend yield. And you're right, the earnings are going up steadily, $3.24 from three twelve, and then next year, three forty one. So the mm-hmm. sales growth has kind of flattened a little bit in the last quarter. We don't know what it is the most recent quarter. But this September 19, 2019 quarter was down 4%. The quarters before that was up nicely. And the stock has been moving up because it's a pretty good defensive play. And we've had more uh, more uh, 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 volatility. Now, it hasn't really done yeah. great. I don't want to mislead people. But it's been slowly moving up. Utilities are like this. They're slow. They are slow. You know, your P.E., remember, the stock is $57, and it's going to make $3.41. So your P.E. is what, 34, so about 18, 17, 18, which is kind of, you know, about in the middle of their range. You know, so it's not cheap. It's not expensive. I don't know. For me, uh, I'm just letting you know, Mike, Mark, there's, there's no real good reason to own more, to be honest. I'd suggest you take a look at oil companies. You get a lot more yields. On the next Invest Talk, this report, where the jobs are by sector. The January jobs report showed U.S. companies added many more positions than expected. And that story is going to be Monday, everybody. But for now, I'm Steve Peasley, and I'm ready to take your calls. 888-99-CHART. Your objective is to work hard, plan well, and achieve financial freedom, right? You're in luck because Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your finance and investment questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Hey, Steve and Justin. David here from Chicago. I'm a pretty new investor. Thank you guys for the show. I really appreciate it. Uh, I have a quick question. Let's say I bought into a position uh, a little bit over a year ago, let's say January 2019. And then let's say I added to that position in October 2019. And since I, you know, held shares for over a year and I, let's say I took some profits off the table February of this year, do you guys know what I would be taxed at? You know, since I held for over a year, is it at a lower taxable bracket? Or since, you know, I added to the position in October and didn't hold all shares for 
over a year, you know, would I be taxed higher? I'll be looking forward to the answer on the show. And again, really appreciate your guys' show. Thank you, guys. Okay, the general rule for uh, for uh, capital gains. Anything held less than 12 months, you pay at ordinary income tax rate. Whatever your ordinary income tax rate is, that's what the tax is on the short-term capital gains. And those are gains made when you had them, the stock or equity 12 months or less. 12 months or longer is long-term capital gains, and long-term capital gains are taxed at 20%. Now, let's say you bought twice. And and you sold all at one time. Well, if you bought 50 shares at one at one time, and then six months later, 50 more shares, and a year later sold them, or you know a year after the first one, then you have short-term uh, capital gains and long-term capital gains. Now, if you sold 50 shares and you had you bought 50, six months later bought 50, usually it's first in, first out. And, you, and then if you sold 50, and then you're keeping 50, so it's the, it would the the sale would go toward the first 50. So that's normally how that works. Okay, it's not it's not that difficult. They, I don't think they changed it. You know, they, the law still stays the same. Short term. Anything under 12 months, if you bought it and sold it within 12 months of had gains, you're going to pay ordinary income tax. Long-term, 12 months or longer, you pay 20% on the profits. It's only on the gains. On the losses, you get to take the losses, uh, short-term or long-term, against gains so that you can offset your gains by taking losses as well, if you have. My main talking point today concerns the story. The Secretary of Treasury says U.S. GDP may fall short 3% this year. May fall short of 3%. Well, we have always fallen short. We haven't seen 3% yet since the recovery from the Great Recession or the big deep recession in 2008. We haven't seen 3% growth in a year annualized. Got close, but not there. So the question is, uh, he's saying, well, we won't see 3% this year. We're going to fall short. Well, I expected to fall short if you want to know the truth. But he is saying it's because of the Boeing 737 MAX problem. He thinks because, you know, remember, they get, they, they, those planes were taken off production and they're not being sold. And, you know, it's going to continue a problem, continuing uh, this particular problem is still not certified. And it may not be certified for most of this year. To go back in, in the air. So, why? Because it's a big drain on the GDP because these planes are very expensive and there's lots of them and they're exported. That really helps. Exports help economies greatly. Imports, a trade division deficit like we have, that really detracts from GDP. It subtracts from GDP. Exports add to GDP of a particular country. So experts are a really good thing for a country. So now this is Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin. He's the one that's talking about this. Now, I expected we'd be under 3% anyways, maybe 25 for this year. That, that's pretty much what my guess was. Um, I think when I sent the, my January letter, annual letter to my clients, I uh, projected about 2.5%. So, I think the government's projecting, you know, two and a half, maybe now. They were projecting 3%. Of course, that was too optimistic. <laughs> you know, they always do. And they always do. They try to make it sound better than it is. Every government entity that I know does that. But so does, so does um, 
Uh, Wall Street. Wall Street, it's the biggest bunch of liars you ever met. They always overestimate earnings uh, at the beginning of the quarter, and then they ratchet them down, down, down to make sure they underestimate them before the earnings reports come out so they can, you know, say, yay, they beat earnings estimates. Well, that's because you purposely downgraded them before the earnings came out. Big, that's what I mean by their biggest bunch of liars. That's what they do. You, as an independent investor, just have to know that's the game they're playing. It's okay. They can play the game as long as you know it's a game and you know what they're doing. How, how, how do I know that's true? Because almost all the time, almost 100% of the time, every quarter when the earnings come out, 70% of the earnings estimates, 70, 70% of the companies beat their earnings estimates. And then I watch them downgrade those estimates all quarter long. That's how I know. Now, we saw a new IPO this week, Casper Sleep. Casper Sleep. But over the past year, Wall Street has been cooling with regard to IPOs. The IPO market is not so hot anymore. So, as we go to break, here's my multi-part trivia question. How many IPOs in total were there in the United States from 1999 to 2019, the last 20 years? And which year had the most IPOs and which year had the least I'll have the answer for after the break, but now we're taking your financial questions live at 888-99-CHART. You know what my husband and I really want? I mean, after years of working and saving and investing, we want financial freedom. Financial freedom to do and live as we want. But our old 401k plan, it's out of date. It can't truly be working for us. You're listening to someone who would benefit from a personalized portfolio review, the kind of unbiased advice and sensible investment strategies offered in a no-cost preliminary consultation by KPP Financial. Sure, we feel confident about some of our investment decisions over the years, but retirement will get here someday, and we should cover our bases now. Get a valuable second opinion on your current financial picture. And KPP Financial doesn't impose unnecessary products or services, so you can make informed decisions with your money. At KPP Financial, we offer independent thinking and shared success. KPP Financial. Okay. This is Invest Talk. Is your portfolio balanced? Is it optimized? Is it delivering the types of gains you want and need to achieve financial freedom? Well, turn up the volume because there are many questions that deserve unbiased answers. And Steve Peasley is here now, ready to take your calls live. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. So how many IPOs? This is the trivia question. How many IPOs total were there from the United States from 1999 to 2019? 20 years worth. How much? How many total? Well, here's some little facts. In 2019, there were 159 
initial public offerings, IPOs in the United States. These are companies that you can buy and sell on public offerings, okay? The number of IPOs is a bellwether kind of thing for investors' confidence. And the more IPOs, the usually, you know, the, the banks like to take the IPOs out when everybody's happy and the market's rallying because they can get better prices for them. Start them off at a better price. In 1999, there was 486 IPOs. 2002, there was 70 IPOs. 2010, 154, 2015, 170, and 2019, So looking back over the 20 years, which year had the highest number of IPOs? Which one had the smallest? 1999 had the most IPOs at 486. That is 486 companies went public. You know how many of those went under? The majority of them. Because they were the dot-coms. They had no hope of ever making any money. But everybody was super excited about it. Well, how about the year the least, 2008, during the depth of the recession, there was only 31. And so how many totals, what was the total over those uh, years? 3,745. That's what you have. So, do you think we'll have a good year this year? I think it'll be decent. Decent. Okay, let's keep things moving. Here comes a caller question that came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi, Stephen Justin. It's Troy calling from Salt Lake City. I had a question on KHC, that's Kraft Heinz Corporation, and just noticed there's been a bit of a downplay there and just wanted to ask a question about your thoughts on that uh, recovering in 2020 and just see if you had any thoughts on what its uh, potential might be. Appreciate the time. Thanks. Okay, Kraft Heinz Corporation, it's a $36 billion company, makes food products such as beverages, cheese, convenient meals, and other grocery products sold worldwide. Big. So, they are dependent. They are dependent on the health of the world economy, and that's one of the reasons why they've taken in the chin in the last few years, because the world economy is not doing very good. U.S. is, but not the world. But let's look at the earnings. So the earnings in 2019 went down 21% to $2.80 a share. And this year, 2020, is going to go down another 9% to 2054. So you have to understand that this will turn around when the world economy starts getting healthier. Now, $2.54 a share, the P.E. ratio is going to be about 11 because the stock is 29.54 right now. So the five-year range is 8 to 59. So it's kind of near the lower the range. It has a very good return on equity, 22. A very nice dividend, 5.4%. And the cash flow is huge at almost $11 a share. So that dividend is pretty solid. I don't think you have to worry about the dividend. They will pay it. I think you just have to be patient. And I'm, when I say patient, several years, not just a year or two. You know, I, I think that this is the kind of company that that patience will reward you, but you only you really buy it for the dividend. You don't buy it for growth. They're not going to have much growth. They're too big. Can they have growth? Sure, but it'd be small. One, two, one, between one and five percent when it's a growth, when the economy is worldwide growth. We're talking a company, $36 billion. It's hard to grow that size of a company, a food company, especially when their profit margins are short or small. The KPP Premium Newsletter 
was distributed to subscribers today, this morning. And of course, I try to put as much info info of the week in there, the statistics, uh, what the market did. And the first section is called the market condition section. And I talked about the wild ride. Most of that wild ride was up this week, except of course, I'm writing it in the morning, right at, right before the market opens, and I've done most of the writing by then, and then the market then falls to today. But most of the week is up, still was up big time in the week. When I talked about January market manufacturing PMI number, that 51.9, and the ISM manufacturing index jumped to 50.9 from 47.8. Remember, we talked about that earlier in the week. I go over that and, and how that's meaningful into you know for us investors and the economy so i try to you know it's it's a teaching newsletter trying to teach you what's important what's not important and what you should do about it under the portfolio management section you know we talk about you know that's the section that talks about how to manage your own portfolio okay um is uh, So, what are the fundamental numbers an investor should look for when picking a solid company to invest in? That's what I asked that question. Now, you could say you want a company that is making money, which I do, right? And growing, yeah. Sales with expanding margins, yeah. All that's true. But what does that really mean? You're, you know, when you get down to the nitty-gritty, growing how much? And how much money making per share? How, how and how, what do you mean expanding margins? And what if they're not? What if they're growing money but the margins are shrinking? What is that? You know, should that be? Should I? Yeah, should I reject that kind of company? And I went into you can't just apply a certain set of numbers to a company because different sectors are different. Return on equities are different. Generally, we like a return on equity of fifteen percent or higher. 16, 17%, you know, we want in the high teens generally. Well, some of them are 100. So, how high is high? Well, what kind of sector we're talking about? See, that's the trick. And, you know, I point that out. I wish, I wish you could just give you numbers and say, okay, just apply these numbers. That's not true for every case. Can't be that simple, everybody. It just isn't. And I gave a couple stock ideas. So every week I give two stock ideas, and then this week it was about oil, oil companies. You know, I, there's a reason why I'm doing that because big oil is paying really nice dividends, all right? Because the stocks have been beat up. Now the stocks being beaten up for a, a reason that they deserve, or is it going to? Are they going to make a comeback? I think they'll make a comeback. I don't know how fast, but, you know, I think it'd be fairly fast. So, meanwhile, you're buying stock at a low price with a high dividend. Why would you not want to do that? So, I, I, you want to buy a stock when they're on sale. You don't want to buy a stock that's 20% overpriced. You want to buy them on sale, just like you would buy clothes or shoes or anything else. You go to this department store or online, whatever. Don't that's why people go online; they want to get cheap stuff. But the stock market is the only place where people run from it when everything's really cheap, like in a recession. It's interesting. The Consumer Watch. I talked about tourist destinations in the United States. Now I've been back and forth in the uh, of the United States numerous times. Twice in, when I was in college in the summer, taking a couple, three weeks off and driving in my van cross-country and back. So, I've seen a lot of different places in the United States. And 
Man, there's some really neat places to go. There really is. Fun places to see. Some, and if you haven't done it, you need to do it. You know, whether you do it on a motorcycle or an RV or just take a car trip and stay in motels, hotels, pick places you want to see and go see them. That's kind of what the newsletter is. There's a lot of valuable information there, I think. The KP Premium, KPP Premium Newsletter comes out each Friday. It's easy to subscribe to. You can do it directly at investtalk.com. And after subscribing, you can see the full report each Friday directly to your inbox. If this information raised a question in your mind, I encourage you to reach out to Justin or myself at KPP Financial. We'll answer any questions. You can call our Irvine office in California or just send us an email at investtalk.com. It's pretty simple. Now, it is Fast Moving Friday, and since our listeners uh, make time to leave their questions, we have to get to them in a voice bank. I want to fit in as many as possible. This came in earlier at 888-99-CHART. Hi there. This is Adam from Austin, Texas, and I'm curious to know how much I should hedge in case of a recession or my risk tolerance. Currently, I have 20% of my brokerage in SLV and RING, so that's silver and gold. It's 20%, and I'm curious to know how much should I be putting in there for silver and gold depending on my risk tolerance. Thank you for your show. Have a great day. Okay, that's a pretty good question, and it's a hard question to answer because everybody's a little different. 20% to 30% as a hedge, and for those people that may not know what he's saying, he's saying that if I have a portfolio, and I don't want to be 100% exposed to the market, how much should I percentage, should I hedge, meaning that would go up or go in the opposite direction of the market? So if the market goes down, this part might go up or will go up. Now, a gold and silver hedge is not perfect, meaning they won't go up necessarily if the market goes down. They generally do, but not necessarily. A perfect hedge would be something that would absolutely go in the opposite direction. Like shorting the S&P 500 when you have a bunch of S&P 500 stocks in your portfolio. If the S&P 500 goes down and you short it, that, that whatever you invested in that short would go up and the rest of your stocks would go down. Now, he's asking, well, how much should I hedge? 20%? Is, he says he's got hedged right now, 20%. But there's not a perfect hedge because it's in gold and silver, but it's a good hedge. Don't, don't misinterpret me thinking I'm saying it's not a good hedge. It is a good hedge. Now, how scared of you are you of the market? How much downturn will you take in your 70% of the portfolio you have in the market? How comfortable are you? If that goes down 50%, are you okay with that? If it goes down 25%, are you okay with that? One of the problems with the hedge, when do you take it off? When do you get out of the hedge? Most people don't know how to get out of that. You would take it off at the depths of recession, but who knows where that is exactly. So how much did you hedge? Well, not a lot. 20 to 30% is probably the maximum I would suggest. But I don't think you need to put a hedge on for this year. But I actually think the market and gold and silver might go up this year, both. So might want to hold on to that. Good question. Appreciate the question. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. Okay. 
We know, you've heard us talk about QE, quantitative easing. It's called the federal, central governments around the country are are participating in QE. Our government is too, uh, by lowering interest rates. But that's not really QE. Lower just lowering interest rates is not QE necessarily. QE is actually where the central banker comes in and buys bonds or 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 mortgages in from the banks why is that quantitative easing because what happens if they put those things on the central government the central bankers balance sheet they buy them what that does is give cash to the banks now the cash banks have all this cash because they sold their mortgages and their bonds to the central banker what are they going to do with the cash? They're not just going to sit on it. They're going to do something with it because they want to grow money. They want to grow their profits. So they invest it in other loans or they buy stock market or they do something. And all that is grease to grease. That's like oil in an engine. It makes it flow. And the engine being the economy. That's the whole purpose of QE. Okay. Japan is still doing quite a bit of QE. The ECB is doing QE, and they've been doing it for, I mean, Japan for years, uh, ECB for less years, but still years. The United States started to withdraw QE a couple of years ago, about a year and a half ago, and that slowed our economy, and they last year, uh, probably it was around October, September, October, they started increasing QE again. In September, September they did. So now the balance sheets of all these central governments are pretty high. Ours is near four trillion. The ECB is between oh about four and a half trillion, and and Japan is close to six trillion. In other words, their balance sheet. They bought all these uh, mortgages and bonds and things from the banks, and they put it on their balance sheet to try to goose their economies. Now, there's been speculation. Are we addicted to QE? Do Remember, you have negative interest rates in Japan, negative interest rates in Europe. Not negative here in the U.S. People ask me, well, why would they buy U.S. government bonds when they're only paying you know, one, one and a half percent for 10 years? Well, would you like to buy some European bank, uh, bonds or some Japanese bonds that you have to pay them? What would you rather have? See? So it's all relative, isn't it? And if you wanted something really, really safe, and you needed to because, you know, your your hedge fund or your your, your union or your, you know, uh, or your the government requires your bank to have very secure treasuries, you're forced to buy them, well, where would you buy them? How, which ones are you going to buy? That's why. That's why that they could be negative and they still have to buy them. Okay? Does that make sense to you? Okay. That's the job. My job is to try to make sense of some of this stuff. This is Invest Talk. I'm Steve Peasley. And, of course, I have one goal here, and that is to help you achieve financial freedom. We all want that. And our work will continue. We only have about 10 minutes left, everybody. So get your questions in now at 888-99-CHART. On the next Invest Talk, this report, Where the Jobs Are by Sector. 
The January jobs report showed that U.S. companies added many more positions than expected. That story Monday, but now Steve Peasley is here and he's waiting for your questions. Call Steve, 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278. Okay, some of the numbers out this week, which were pretty good. This morning's job report is on tops the list, of course. 225,000 created jobs in January. That's very strong. Much better than the expectation. And about 183,000 people joined the labor force, coming off the sidelines. So that means the jobless unemployment rate went up a tick. 3.6 from 3.5, I believe, is the number. Because people, even though we produce a lot of jobs, more people came into the workforce. So the employment uh, ratio of peep of our population working is 61.2%. Workers' productivity was up for the fourth quarter and better, much better than the third quarter. So a lot of the numbers are really good. After-tax real take-home pay increased by $5,000 annually since 2016. ISM manufacturer above 50. ISM services above 60. Those are really good numbers. 60 is really, really good. Above 50 for manufacturing, we have been below 50. And you've heard me say it for the last, I don't know how many months, that the manufacturing sector is the thing that's dragging us down. They're in a recession because they're below 50. Now, January's number, they popped up above 50. It's very, very good. You know, the movement above 50 is very, very good. So, what does this mean? It means the economy is doing pretty well. And no matter how you want to look at it, doesn't matter how you look. I don't care where you, you, if you hate Trump or not, no matter how you look at it, you have to say the economy looks pretty good. Now, could it get better? Well, we would like to see above 3% growth. And we can't seem to get above that. That just seems to be, maybe this is our new normal in the 2 to 2.5%. Two I don't know. Because since two thousand, since the recession, two thousand eight happened, we have never had an annualized three percent growth rate. Okay, yet that's the first time a recovery from a recession that we haven't achieved three percent. This is the first time ever, and that recession is many, many long years ago. So we've had lots of years of expansion, a record amount of years of expansion since a recession. And we still can't get above three. Maybe that's why we've had so many years of expansion, because we never overheated coming out of the recession. It was always a slow growth a proposition. Hmm. Maybe that's why. So I think we squeeze in one more call before the end of the day. 888-99-CHART. Hello. My name is Melanie. I was interested in investing in Honeywell International. However, I'm not sure if it has already peaked, but it also has a very high dividend, so I'm, I have a little mixed feelings about this stock. Please let me know what you think. Now, that's good thinking. I like to hear that you're not sure if it's already peaked, because it has gone up. 
Honeywell, everybody, provides automotive and aerospace products, security technologies, specialty chemical and engine systems. $125 billion company, so it's a very big company, very secure company. They've made earnings, make money every year. They've grown earnings every year for years and years. They're going to make $8.83 this year. Then they're guided to $9.56 next year. Those are the estimates. Um, debt is not very deep, not very big. Return on equity is very high at 32%. But you're right, it's a little bit expensive. It's $175 stock. They're going to make $9.56. So the PE is in the low 20 range, 21, 20, 21, 22. And their five-year range is 14 to 23. So they're right at the higher PE range. And at the same time, sales growth has shrunk four, five quarters in a row. So they're a bit expensive. They pay a 2.1% dividend. If you're buying it for the dividend, I would say I think you're a little late to the party. You're a little late. And I would suggest looking at other sectors. And I've already already mentioned the oil sector twice, so here's three times. Big integrated oils companies, take a look at them if you're looking for dividend plays. I'm Steve Peasley, and this concludes another Invest Talk program. Justin will be here on Monday, and of course, I'll return Tuesday. In the meantime, we invite you to access our free library of condensed podcasts at Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, or investtalk.com. Go there. Have a great weekend, everybody. Good night. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART. 888-99-CHART.